Well, good morning, everyone. Shalom. It's uh, really a joy to be with you and to be able to worship the Lord together. Uh, And uh, I just want to thank Pastor Dave for inviting me to represent Jews for Jesus and to share uh, Christ in the Passover with you. Now, uh, maybe some of you are still wondering, what does Passover have to do with Jesus? Isn't Passover Jewish? Well, Jesus is Jewish, and so not only did he celebrate Passover every year he dwelt among us on earth, but this morning you're going to get to see the way that um, all of uh, the Passover really points to Jesus. Uh, I grew up in a Messianic Jewish family, and that's if you don't know, that's a Jewish family, um, but uh, one thing that kind of makes us different is that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, which, as Pastor Dave says, is a, an exception. Less than uh, 1% of Jewish people around the world know Jesus as Messiah, well under 1%, really. And so we're an unreached people group, and most Jewish people will tell you, well, you know, Jesus is for you Christians, and we've got our own thing. Um, but we remember that Jesus not only was Jewish, but came uh, to fulfill the promises that God made to Israel. And so this morning, as I walk through the traditional Passover Seder, my hope is that you come away with more than an explanation of a commemorative meal, but that you see Passover the way I was brought up to see it, as an object lesson of the life and mission of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, Look carefully, because I think, I think you'll see a clear picture of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. So I want to start by reading from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so please turn, if you can, to Luke chapter 22. Uh, we're going to be reading about uh, the preparation for the Passover meal that Jesus is going to share with his disciples. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 22. Verses 7 through 13. Then the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house. The teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So today's Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of Holy Week. And so this is, we remember Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem um, and this, you know, Jesus and his disciples are traveling to celebrate Passover. They're doing something they've done their entire lives. Uh, three times a year, we were required in ancient times to leave our homes and go to the place where God instructed us, the temple in Jerusalem, uh, where we uh, were to worship the Lord during three festivals. Uh, so Passover is the very first of these pilgrim festivals. And then a few weeks later, we celebrate the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. You might know it better as Pentecost. And then in the fall, we celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. 
or Sukkot. And so these were the three pilgrim feasts where we would travel to Jerusalem. And so that's what Jesus and his disciples are doing. But this is unlike any of the other Passovers that had come before. Because this Passover, Jesus was going to bring to fulfillment everything the Feast of Passover had been uh, pointing to, all the way going back to that original Passover in the land of Egypt. And so Jesus wanted to celebrate this last Passover meal with his disciples, not only to spend some time with them, but because he was going to take the story and the symbols they were so familiar with as Jewish people and to infuse it with new meaning that they couldn't have possibly imagined. And I'm very excited to be able to share that with you this morning. Now today, Jewish people don't have to travel to Israel three times a year. So we can celebrate Passover in our homes. And we do that through a ceremony called the Passover Seder. And Seder is a Hebrew word, which means order. And that's because there's a specific order of service to the Passover celebration. And that order is found in a book like this called a Haggadah. And Haggadah means the telling, because on Passover, we're telling a story. The story of our people's redemption, our liberation from slavery in Egypt. And each person sitting at the Passover table is supposed to understand this story personally, as though you yourselves were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. Uh, And so all of you by now should have received a pamphlet that uh, looks like this. Uh, This is going to be your Haggadah for this morning. If you open it up, you're going to see that there are some readings that we're going to be going over together, some blessings. Uh, And so this will be our Haggadah. And we start the Passover Seder by saying, let all who are hungry come and eat. And as we're concluding this fasting and feasting uh, series here, Um, The invitation is especially poignant as we enter Holy Week to come celebrate the Passover with me. So we begin our celebration of Passover the way we begin all Jewish Holy Days with the lighting of the candles, which is usually the duty as well as the honor of the woman of the house. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and do the honors this morning. So after kindling these lights, she'll recite a traditional Hebrew blessing. And then after I recite it in Hebrew, I'm going to ask all of the women to join me over the blessing over the candles in English from our pamphlets. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'tzivanu Lahadlik Ner Shel Yom Tov Amen. So women, please read with me the blessing over the candles. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his commandments and commands us to kindle the festival lights. And we do this to uh, remind ourselves that God is present with us. Flame and light often represents God's presence in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And so this reminds us that God is the guest of honor at our meal. 
Now, Passover is more than a meal. It's a banquet, and it's more than a service. It's a ceremony. While a meal and a service might take an hour or two, the Passover Seder often takes as long as four hours. So I hope you don't have anywhere to be later. (laughs) The first cup is called the Kiddush cup, or the cup of sanctification. And over the course of those four hours, we will drink from four cups. And so the Kiddush cup is the first. The second cup is the cup of plagues. And then the third cup, the cup of redemption, is the focal point of the entire Seder. And then finally, we come to the fourth cup, the cup of Halal, the cup of praise. So it's with this first cup, the Kiddush cup, the cup of sanctification, that the head of the household offers a blessing which sanctifies, sets apart the rest of the service. And so the head of the household will lift up the cup and then recite in Hebrew, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Amen. So I'm going to invite all of us to recite in English the blessing over the Kiddush cup together from our pamphlets. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And so now the Seder has begun, and the youngest person present steps forward to ask the meaning of Passover. And he or she recites the traditional four questions, which are found in the Haggadah, as well as in our brochures. And these questions are chanted in Hebrew, and the first part sounds like this. So I'm going to invite all of us to read the four questions from your pamphlets all together. Why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we are not required to dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? So those are a lot of questions. Let me answer the first part of that first question about why tonight is different. Those of us who know the story are obligated to respond. This is because of what the Lord did for me when he brought me up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he redeemed me, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Because redemption is the very heart of Passover. But Passover imparts more than God's message of redemption. It teaches us about God's means of redemption through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. So we tell the story of the Exodus, how our ancestors were living in Egypt. And as we multiplied, Pharaoh grew fearful of us and enslaved us. And in our distress, we cried out to the Lord, and the Lord heard us, and he raised up a deliverer, Moses, who confronted Pharaoh and said, let my people go. But Pharaoh answered, I do not know the Lord, and I will not let your people go. And so God sent 10 plagues against the Egyptians in order to convince Pharaoh to release the Israelites, to let them go free. 
But Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against God and against God's people. And so in the tenth and final plague, uh, where the angel of death would come to slay the firstborn of Egypt, my ancestors were instructed to take a spotless lamb and to kill it and roast it whole without breaking any of its bones. And then we were instructed to take the blood of that lamb and to apply it to the doorposts of our homes, to the top of the doorpost, the lintel, and then the two side posts. It was because of our obedience to God's command and because of our faith in the effectiveness of his provision that when the Lord saw the blood on the doorposts of our homes, death was forced to pass over. That's where we get the name of the holiday, Passover. The holiday which commemorates the time when death passed over the houses of Israel. Why? Because of the blood. The blood of the Passover lamb. It was a great act of redemption, but it was also a picture of an even greater redemption through an even greater Passover lamb. You see, just like my ancestors had to sacrifice that first Passover lamb, killing it without breaking any of its bones, so Jesus, when he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, none of his bones were broken in his death. And just like my ancestors had to take the blood of that Passover lamb and to apply it to our doorposts, so each one of us must apply the blood of Jesus by faith to our hearts. So now let me answer the next part of that first question. Why we eat only unleavened bread? So we answer that our ancestors, in their haste to flee Egypt, had to take their bread with them while it was still flat. Now, another name for Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's because we only eat unleavened bread. We don't eat leavened bread. Uh, And that's because in Scripture, it's just a small piece of leaven which ferments an entire portion of dough. And it's that leaven that causes the bread to rise, to become puffed up, just like sin causes us to become puffed up in our own eyes. And so we refrain from eating anything that contains any leaven or yeast during Passover as a way of saying that we want to break the daily cycle of sin in our lives. And it's also interesting that in ancient times when we would offer sacrifices, along with the lamb or the goat or whatever we were offering, uh, we would also be commanded to sacrifice some matzah, some unleavened bread with it. And that symbolizes a perfect sinless sacrifice. So I want to tell you about one of the items on the Seder table. And it's this funny bag that's a special bag we only use for Passover because it contains three pieces of matzah. Each one has its own little section. And so of these three matzahs, we remove the second, the middle matzah, from the bag. And the leader of the Seder will hold the matzah up for everyone to see and then recites, this is the bread of affliction, which my ancestors ate while we were slaves in Egypt. And then he uh, recites a traditional blessing. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. So 
I'm going to invite every I'm going to, going to invite everyone to read together the blessing over the bread. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who breaks forth bread from the earth. Amen. He then takes the matzah and breaks it in two. And he sets one half aside, and then he gives the other half a new name, the afikomen. Try saying that with me. Afikomen. That's not Hebrew, by the way. It's Greek, and it means that which comes later, or the coming one. And that's because we don't eat it yet. We save it for later. And so at this point, the head of the household, the leader of the Seder, will wrap the afikomen up in a napkin, and then all of the kids at the table close their eyes while he sneaks off and finds a hiding place. He's, it's buried. None of the kids should know where it's been hidden because later on, they're going to go on a search for the afikomen. And they better find it because we need the afikomen to finish the Seder. And so if they don't, then we're stuck here all night. So let's move on now to the next two questions that have to do with vegetables and dipping. They're kind of strange questions. So let me answer by showing you this. This is a Seder plate. Now, despite its appearance, it's not used for serving deviled eggs. (laughs) Instead, as you can see from the picture in your pamphlet, a symbolic piece of food is placed into each one of these compartments. And each of these symbolic foods helps us to not only tell, but to experience the story of Passover. And so the first item is the carpus, or greens. And we generally use parsley or uh, some other green vegetable. And these greens represent life. This is a spring holiday. But before we eat these greens, we take them and we dip them in salt water. And that salt water represents the tears of life and the tears that our ancestors shed while they were slaves in Egypt. This item is the chazeret, the root of the bitter herb. We don't eat it, but we look at it, and we're reminded that the root of life is bitter, as it certainly was for our ancestors in Egypt. But this next item we do eat. This is the maror, the bitter herb itself, freshly ground horseradish. And we're supposed to eat a whole spoonful of horseradish. Any volunteers? Do you know what happens when you eat a whole spoonful of horseradish? You cry, and there's little choice in the matter. And, you know, you might not just cry. Sometimes I lead, like, a, you know, an actual Seder where you guys would be eating it. And I remember one year someone got up and ran out of the room. <laughs> this is a battle between the horseradish and your sinuses. And the horseradish always wins. And so these tears, again, remind us of the tears that our ancestors shed in Egypt. And if any of you really want to try it, it's going to be up here after the service. So... The next item is the haroset. And this is a sweet mixture made up of chopped apples, honey, raisins, and nuts. It's sweet and delicious. It represents the mortar that our ancestors used when baking bricks for Pharaoh. And maybe you're wondering why we use such a sweet mixture to represent such bitter toil. 
Well, our rabbis explain that even the worst suffering is sweetened with the promise of redemption. This is not an Easter egg. We give this egg the name Chagiga, which was a name of the special uh, festival sacrifice offered in Jerusalem. And so like a sacrifice, we actually take this hard-boiled egg and we roast it. And then during the Seder, it's, uh, it's broken open and sliced, and each person gets a piece. And then we dip it in salt water, which represents what? And so the Chagiga is a token of grief to the Jewish people, grief over the destruction of the second temple. But it's an egg, so it also represents new life. This is the zoroa, the last item on the Seder table, the shank bone of the lamb. Passover is often known as the feast of the Passover lamb, but in most Jewish homes today, lamb is actually not served during Passover. That's because the lamb that we used to eat during Passover consisted of the actual Passover sacrifice, which was offered when the temple stood. But in 70 AD, the Romans destroyed that temple. And ever since then, Jewish people have ceased offering sacrifices. And so instead, these two elements, the shank bone as well as the egg, remain on our table as reminders of sacrifice, which we no longer offer. But their presence raises an interesting and important question. If there's no longer a temple, no longer sacrifices, no longer a Passover lamb, how is it possible to atone for our sins? After all, The law of Moses, the Torah, states it very clearly in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which says, I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives, because it is the blood because of the life that makes atonement. Now, a lot of people, both Jewish and non-Jewish, look at that verse and say, well, that's very primitive. It comes from a time where we thought we had to appease an angry God with sacrifices, but Now we understand that God's loving, and we don't need to appease him. He's just forgiving. Um, But if we actually study Scripture closely, we see that the, the sacrificial system existed because our sins separated us from God. So whenever my ancestors um, in Israel came to the temple in order to worship God, if we wanted to come near to God to approach him, we couldn't come empty-handed. We had to bring a sacrifice. And so we would watch as that lamb or goat uh, was killed by the priest uh, in front of us. And we would understand what Paul later wrote about in Romans, that the wages of sin is death. But if there's no longer a temple and no longer sacrifice, then how is it possible to atone for our sins? How can we have forgiveness? Well, I want to tell you, in order to answer, tell you the story of a famous Jewish man named Yochanan. Uh, You know him better as John, John the Baptist. Well, one day John was baptizing people in the Jordan River when he looked up and he saw his cousin, Yeshua, Jesus. And upon seeing Jesus, John declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, it was never the blood of 
lambs and goats that atoned for sins. Those sacrifices always pointed forward to the true lamb that God himself would provide, our Messiah, Jesus. So now we come to the second cup. In Jewish tradition, a full cup represents complete joy. But in one sense, our joy is not complete. And so at this point in the Seder, we dip our fingers in our cups and we remove ten drops, one for each of the ten plagues that befell the Egyptians. And we do this in order to express sorrow over their destruction and to mourn their loss. But there's also an important lesson in this cup about the serious consequences of sin. You see, Pharaoh was repeatedly told what God wanted from him. Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and he refused and he said, no, I will not. And as a result, he brought death and destruction, not only upon his kingdom, but into his very household. His own beloved son died as a result of his hardness of heart. But this is what happens with sin. We're like Pharaoh, that we hear what God wants from us, but we harden our hearts and choose our own way. And unfortunately, the consequences aren't restricted to ourselves, but they even affect those around us. And again, ultimately, Scripture tells us that the ultimate consequence of sin is death, not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. But thanks be to God, we can celebrate Passover not only because my ancestors were delivered from slavery in Egypt, but all of us who have faith in Jesus have been redeemed from an even greater bondage, our slavery to sin and death. And so after the second cup, we, we serve a great meal. It's a, you know, it's a feast. So think about like a Thanksgiving-sized meal. And after the meal, you know, it's late and we're tired. You've got to imagine this. And you remember, oh, we have to finish the Seder. We're not done yet. Uh, and so, you know, the temptation is to rush through the very end. But uh, we're just coming to the very high point of the Seder because we now come to the third cup, the cup of redemption, which I mentioned before is the focal point of the entire Seder. But before we can drink it, we have to stop. We can't proceed just yet because something is missing. Earlier, something was broken and then buried, and now it needs to be brought back. The afikomen. And so at this point, all of the kids get up and they run around the house scouring everywhere looking for the afikomen, but only one is going to discover where it's been hidden. And so they bring it triumphantly back, uh, but they don't just hand it over because uh, they have something valuable called leverage. (laughs) We can't finish the Seder without this, and it's late. We want to wrap this up. So the kid's going to walk away with a few extra dollars, and I will have recovered the afikomen. And now that I have the afikomen back, I break it again. And I break it so that each person at the table receives a piece about the size of an olive, and we eat the afikomen before we come to the third cup, the cup of redemption. Does this look familiar to anyone? I hope so. 
This is the origin of our communion service. And what a beautiful picture of our Messiah who is broken and buried and brought back for us. And remember, uh, the afikomen is matzah, unleavened bread, symbolic of a sinless nature, which reminds us of our Messiah who lived a sinless life and so was a sinless, perfect sacrifice. And if you look at matzah, you also notice that it's kind of funny looking. It's striped and pierced. You can see the piercings when I hold it in front of the candle. And this reminds us of what Scripture tells us about the Messiah. Isaiah tells us that by his stripes we are healed. And God, speaking through the prophet Zechariah, says that they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And so I can see our Messiah symbolically in the Afikomen. But it's very interesting because in the days that the temple stood, the last item of the meal that Jewish people were permitted to eat at Passover was one last morsel of the Passover lamb. And after eating that Passover lamb, you couldn't eat anything else for the rest of the evening. But like we mentioned, the Passover lamb ceased being offered and eaten after the temple was destroyed. And that's when the afikomen was introduced as a memorial to remember that last morsel of Passover lamb, which is fascinating because... Forty years before the temple was destroyed, Jesus took matzah after the meal, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I can see our Messiah symbolically not only in the afikomen, but also in this bag from which it was originally drawn. Now, do you remember this bag had three pieces of matzah, Uh, Each one has its own compartment. And so in Judaism, everything doesn't have one, but several explanations. And so we note that these three matzahs come together to form a unity. And so what does it teach us? Well, some say that it teaches us that we are one people with three ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Others say it represents the three divisions of worship for the ancient kingdom of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the people. But neither these or any of the other explanations given explain why we remove the middle matzah, break it, bury it, and bring it back. Now, I don't know about you, but as a believer in Jesus, I see these three matzahs that form a unity, and I'm reminded of our one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So then, why do we remove the middle matzah, break it and bury it and bring it back? Well, for me, every Passover, this is a visceral reminder that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, lived a human life, sinless and perfect, but he was broken as a sacrifice for us in his death on the cross. And then he was buried in the tomb. And then three days later, he was brought back in his resurrection from the dead. And so... We eat the afikomen in memory of the Passover lamb. How much more since our Passover lamb is Jesus. And so after eating the afikomen, we come to the third cup, the cup of redemption. And the fruit of the vine during Passover is red. And the rabbis teach that that's to remind us of the blood of that first Passover lamb that was shed to redeem us from our slavery in Egypt. In the same way, the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, was shed to redeem us 
from our slavery to sin. So after drinking from the cup of redemption, we come to the fourth cup, the cup of halal. And all of you know a Hebrew word, hallelujah. And that means praise the Lord. The first part of that word is halal, praise. So this is the cup of praise. And we finish our Seder with praise, praising God for everything he did in the past to deliver us from slavery in Egypt, but also longing for and anticipating what God's going to do in the future. And so as we end the Seder, there is a longing for God to fulfill all of his promises. And that longing is encapsulated in one last cup I haven't mentioned yet. This is a cup from which no one drinks because this is the cup of Elijah. We reserve a cup and an entire place setting for the prophet Elijah because according to the prophet Malachi, before the Messiah comes, he will be preceded by the return of Elijah the prophet, who will be his forerunner. And so Jewish people are hoping that the prophet will accept the invitation, sit down at the table, and announce the coming of the Messiah. But as believers, we know that Elijah's come already, because Jesus said concerning John the Baptist, if you're able to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. And so the prophet, the forerunner of the Messiah, has come. And so has the Messiah himself, Yeshua, Jesus, the Passover Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But Jewish people around the world are celebrating Passover in just a few days, not realizing that the Messiah has come. And so that's why Jews for Jesus exists, in order to make the good news of Jesus uh, clear to our people. So uh, if you look at your uh, pamphlets, uh, there's two ways that you can connect with us. One is by using your phone uh, and you know, you, clicking on this QR code that will connect you to Jews for Jesus. You can get our newsletter, things like that, updates that way. You can also give that way. There's also a little tear-off card. This is the, uh, the ancient way of uh, observing this tradition. You can tear that off. And in a moment, uh, you can... Uh, take one of your filled out cards and put that in uh, the uh, offering um, and you can connect with us that way too. But yeah, Jews for Jesus has existed for 50 years, sharing the gospel, uh, making Jesus known in a Jewish way to uh, our Jewish people. And uh, we've always tried to be innovative and uh, to pioneer new ways of reaching people because we really came out of the Jesus movement and a bunch of Jewish hippies uh, came to faith in Jesus. And so we've always wanted to be creative and to reach the Jewish people who are hardest to reach. And so uh, we're focusing on 20 Jewish communities that we've identified as, um, as a key demographic to reach that have been particularly um, either resistant to the gospel or that we just haven't um, put enough effort into reaching. Um, and so this is groups like ultra-Orthodox Jews living in Brooklyn or New Age Jews living in London or Sydney, uh, Jewish people who are marrying non-Jews, um, and even uh, Jewish people who grew up in Jewish-believing families but haven't figured out how to take hold of their faith or their Jewish identity for themselves. And so because God's people have uh, been supporting us so faithfully the, this 50 years like you've heard, thousands of Jewish people have come to faith in Jesus, and we're hopeful that there will be um, a number of Jewish people who respond to these evangelistic outreaches in the next few months. Uh, and so we need your prayers. 
We need you to stand with us in your witness to the Jewish people in your lives. And if God's leading you this morning to give towards Jews for Jesus, I simply ask that you don't give out of any obligation or uh, feelings of duty, but that you give because you want to be part of what God is doing to bring the good news of Jesus to the Jewish people. Uh, And so if that's on your heart, please do give. Uh, Pastor Dave's going to come up. He's going to give instructions. Thank you so much for allowing me to share with you Christ in the Passover and to share about the ministry of Jews for Jesus.